Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster just bought a Porsche and got a spray tan. We're talking midlife divorce. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. We've talked about gray divorce on the toaster. We've talked about high dollar divorce on the toaster. But what are the issues facing the messy middle, sitting right atop of the divorce bell curve? This week on the show, we're talking to David Harold, one of the co-founders of Divorce Over 40, a community dedicated to providing support to those facing midlife divorce. Daniel, welcome to the toaster. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's good, nice to meet you, uh, Seth and Pete. Glad to be on. We're going to be talking about your uh, community here, Divorce Over 40. We're going to get into this in a little bit. Um, I, I'm super curious how this became a, a cause celeb for you, how, it, how you put yourself in the space of saying, you know what, there's a, there's a hole in my post-divorce life, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be the guy to, to fill it for other people. <laughs> Pete. Pete, you've been on his Instagram page and saw all those pictures of him standing next to the different Porsches. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, it really is uh, was a selfish uh, objective or ambition at first. Um, and COVID had a lot to do with it. You know, I had been divorced about two years prior to uh, when everything started to shut down in early twenty. And I was a very active dater. I would def probably describe myself as a serial dater. I was having fun and um, all that shut off. And so, uh, and I traveled a lot. So I dated as I traveled. And um, so, you know, as with a lot of people during COVID, you have a lot of time to yourself. You have a lot of time to kind of reflect both good and bad. And I really was kind of looking at, okay, well, what have I accomplished since my divorce? Um, and I was like, not a whole lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. The one start missing piece was friendships. I really didn't have meaningful friendships. And as you know, you go through a divorce, you lose virtually all, you know, all of your friendships. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, is this, this is because you, you, like your friends, I mean, is it, it, was it a stereotypical for you as it seems to be that they just pick sides? You know, I don't know if it's picking sides. I think it's more that they don't really know how to reach out particularly the men, you know, I think the women know how to nurture and uh, reach out to people. And, but I think the guys are, we're clueless and we're just like, well, we're not, we're not going to touch that. Yeah. When I went through my divorce, literally it was like, you want to grab a beer? Like everybody thought I wanted to grab a beer. In some things that was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, like, um, you know, maybe sit at home with a bottle of tequila by myself that might have been an option, yeah. but going out and grabbing a beer. I mean, but I agree with you 100%. I think the guys are kind of, they don't know how to do it. Um, they don't know how to reach out. They don't really know, especially if you haven't been through it, like even what they can do, they're just totally lost. So I hear where you're coming from. I, re I remember going out shortly after getting divorced with one, an old friend that I kind of rekindled and we went to happy hour. And it was so nice catching up with them. We didn't really even talk about the divorce. And I texted him afterwards and said, hey, this was fun. We really ought to do this again. And he replied back to me and said, 
that's great, can, but can it be coffee and not a happy hour? <laughs> and I knew that was coming from his <laughs> wife, that she didn't want, you know, her husband hanging out with the, uh, the single you know, soon, you know, newly divorced man, uh, in a happy hour setting. Wow. Um, and so kind of back to story, I realized, okay, well, I really need to start investing in some people. And, uh, again, it's hard to invest in a, in guy friends that are married. So there was a, a coworker, uh, at my office that was, uh, had gotten divorced about the same time that I did. And, and I said, Hey, let's go have a couple drinks. And we started to hang out. And, um, he was a lot more social than me. So his friend circle was, you know, mine was him and his was a lot bigger. And that's, that's, that's Daniel. That's not a circle. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's like a direct line. That's a line. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Um, point yeah. to point. Yeah. And so, um, we concocted this idea to have cookouts at his place every Thursday night. We really didn't say every Thursday night, but he's like, well, why don't we, have these cookouts and let's just start inviting people over. And of course I don't have anybody on the invitation list, but he has a whole you know, group of people that he invited. And we had, we, you know, it was kind of like a potluck thing. It was like, you know, y'all come bring a dish, bring your alcohol. Let's just hang out. And we did it one Thursday. We had about 10, 15 people there. I knew nobody. Uh, it wasn't like a dating mixer. It was really just kind of people hanging out. And it turned out as I got to know everybody there, everyone was divorced every single person. <laughs> and, um, I was like, well, that's interesting. And so my circle started to widen a little bit and I was like, well, let's do this again. His name is Toby. We did it again. And we invited those friends and told them to invite their friends. And so a completely mix of different people the next week, 15, 20 people this time, all divorced. And we just kept doing that all throughout the summer and watching this thing grow. From that spawned this unique friendship amongst about six of us, my colleague and myself and four women, purely platonic. We were all divorced in our 40s and early 50s, and we were like a pack of thieves. I mean, we did everything together. We had dinner. We went to breakfast. We hung out and watched movies. It was such a unique kind of time in your life where you rarely get the opportunity to to build a platonic friendship with a female, you know, particularly when you're married, you just don't do that. And, um, or you shouldn't for that matter. It's like this light bulb went on our head because all of a sudden these ladies were now the kind of co-hosts of the events. And we were like, we're on to something here. I mean, people just have this insatiable appetite for connection when they get divorced because they don't have any, they have family, which a lot of times you don't want family in your business. Or, you know, they like to put themselves in your business. But, you know, you, I kept a healthy boundary there. But just being able to connect with people that there wasn't an agenda. We weren't trying to sleep with each other. We weren't trying to get phone numbers. It was just, let's just hang out and eat and have a couple beers. And that's what started it. I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm, of course, I'm talking to a Floridian and an Oklahoman here, but we're in a place that was much more sort of conservative in terms of when we came out of, you know, uh, out of COVID and and things were not open for a very long time. And I'm the I'm this is a thing that I, even though I'm I'm not divorced, but this is a thing I can relate to. It is water to you know a man coming out of the desert, being able to sit down with a friend after 18 months that you haven't seen, you haven't been able 
able to, you know, give a hug. You haven't been able to have a, a real in-person connection to make you realize just the incredible value of platonic relationships in your life beyond family. Yeah, I think as I reflect back, uh, if I had to do anything differently during my the time that I was married, it was that I would have invested in more people from a friendship standpoint. And that means guys. Oh, wow. But I would have really yeah. invested in guys. And I, you know, you just get so busy with life. And, and you know, I just wasn't the guy that went and played golf, you know, for four hours on a Friday. That, for yeah. me, was career and then raising my kids. And that was it. It's just, it's amplified by the fact that you're also, I mean, whether you're in, in a marriage and family or not, men get worse at developing new friendships as they age. And it is just, I, I imagine, exacerbated by the fact that you're in a, a friend divorce, right? Pete, let's be honest. Is there anything we get better at? No, there's nothing we get better. The only thing we get better at is aging. Like, right. <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, and you, and you, if you think about it, in many cases, the role of the wife, and I don't want to generalize or stereotype, but in my marriage, my wife was our social chairman. So she's driving the boat. She's driving the agenda on yeah. all the couples that we're going out with and what we're doing. I'd come home Friday and she's like, well, we're going out with this couple and that couple. And I'm like, okay, great. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times we're not really driving the boat. And then you kind of just start to take a back seat and get lazy about it. And you regret it later down in life. At least I did. Well, Daniel, I'll tell you, I think one of the interesting things you say is that you, you know, your close circle of friends or you didn't have many friends that were close at all. I think back of like the different stages of my life. And to this day, I have, a, I have, you know, two, three solid friends from college. Still talk to them on a fairly regular basis, but they're also the type of friends that six months might go by, a year might go by, and then you pick up the phone and it's nothing's changed, right? You pick up, right? And I kind of have that from segments of my life. But in that phase that you're talking about, when I had kids and they were little and we were focused on them, and for a long time after I was divorced, I felt very similar to you. I certainly had acquaintances and, and colleagues that I consider friends, but I'd rarely get together with them or it'd always be a hassle to, to schedule. And I wouldn't make like, you know, hey, we should get together. We should get together. And I, I got this new mantra is let's get our calendar right now. Right when you say let's get together, get out your calendar because otherwise that's not it's happening. Empty. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. It's not going to happen. I had dinner with two of my friends that I've been investing a lot of time with. One's married and the other one is uh, in a long battle divorce. And um, we hadn't seen each other in maybe a couple months. And we left and I texted both of them. I said, man, this stuff, this is good for the soul to be able to hang with guys like you. And the one that's going through a really painful divorce replied back and said, you have no idea. And, you know, it just makes you realize there's a lot of people that are out there that are hurting and they just need, you know, some companionship, just someone to hang out with, maybe not even to talk about the crap that they're going through, but just someone to enjoy life with. There is a post on on your blog at um, uh, divorceover40.com that w the, the title is, Are We Hardwired to Be in a Relationship? And it, it, I, I feel like what we're talking about here comes at this from the other side, which is saying, look, it's, it, you know, there is a lot of self-empowerment language and guidance out there in the world that says, you know, you're going to get a divorce. It's okay. It's okay to be by yourself. Learn to be okay by yourself. Uh, and that it, it feels like a group like this 
is a salve for people who have decided they're not okay by themselves, that they need human connection, they need relationships. What is is that a can can you react to that sort of trope, the be okay by yourself uh, kind of angle and and how that applies to the people who are a part of the the their your tribes? I think there's something to be said about when you go through a trauma like a divorce that uh, before you get into the next relationship that um, you need to heal, you need to go through the self-discovery process. And so being single for a season, I think is healthy. But I think that we all at the end of the day yearn for connection. And that can be a romantic connection or that can be a platonic connection. And what we've told people, our message is we want to be the healthier alternative for you because most people when they start to feel the pangs of loneliness and they start to feel sad about their situation and their Friday nights, they're sitting there watching Netflix by themselves um, and they haven't healed. Well, what do they do? They get on Bumble and they get on Tinder and they get and they're they're yearning for some sorts of sort of validation or connection from random people. And that's it's incredibly toxic. It's it's only gonna, it's a crash and burn scenario. When you're when you're unhealthy and you're dating, and so what we're telling people is maybe take a little bit of time out before you do that because our culture says you got to get back in the game as quickly as possible, and just go make friends. And you know what? The best friends for you to make are friends just like you, just like how veterans can look at another veteran and kind of nod. Yeah, well, I've been through that. I know the trauma that you've been through. I think someone that's been through a divorce can hang out with other divorced men and women. And be able to empathize and say, I'm like you. I'm one of your kind. I've been through that scenario before. And so it's it's a healthier. You still need the connection. We think you need connection. We're just want to provide a healthier alternative. And and Pete, to your point about learning to be alone, that's something I certainly learned how to do. And dating afterwards was very easy for me once I realized I was kind of comfortable in my own skin and and I was okay being alone because someone would not want to go out with me another time. I think I've mentioned this before. And I would just kind of laugh like, okay, for whatever reason, you don't like short Jewish bald guy anymore. That's fine. Like, you know, it happens, but I'm not changing that about myself. That's never going to change. But the last time I went through a, a serious breakup, I was worried about seeing my kid and you know, making sure they could stay in the house so they could go to a good school district. We went out a few times and we had some laughs. Not seeing you ever again in my life is really not that big of a deal, right? But but that's where I'm like more in tune with me. That doesn't mean that I think being alone in my mind is like when you put your head at the pillow at night, are you okay? And it doesn't mean that you don't have friends or, you you know, and you can still find that quiet time. And some people are, are alone when they exercise. That's their alone time, right? Because, hey, I want to be alone. I'm good being alone. It doesn't mean that you're like forever by yourself and you have no interaction, right? You're not a hermit. But I think what Daniel, if I'm hearing you right, Daniel, is like, there are people that have been through what you've gone through or you're currently going through. And we're just here to support each other and if you're feeling down and you don't want to sit home and, and watch Netflix and think about your divorce or get on Bumble and swipe whichever way you're going to swipe until you run out of inventory, then we're here for you. And it isn't, it isn't about your divorce. It's about making new friendships, realizing there's life after divorce and you can keep going on. 
Well, the thing I'm I'm interested in and that I that I really relate to here is that I think there are people who are in marriages that might be you know struggling who are realizing that they're they're lonely because they're just alone and right. the value of of you know of these platonic relationships and can be an answer to that to that like I maybe I just. Maybe I just need to be able to have a conversation over a cup of coffee with somebody else who will sit and listen to me. Well, Pete, here's the thing. I talked to a buddy of mine and I said, how's it going? Like, he's younger than I am, and but he, he played college hockey and has kids now. And he goes, my life's great except for one thing. And I was like, thinking he was going to tell me he was sick or someone was ill. He goes, I miss the guys. He's yeah, like, I, yeah. I love my wife. We have a great relationship. She is my best friend. Like everything you would hope your relationships would be. The kids are amazing. I'm running around with them. He's like, I don't have that like, not in a crude sense where like, but I don't have the time in the locker room. I don't have the time on the ice that I used to have right, right. hanging out with these guys, you know, just doing whatever he liked to do. And He's like, I just miss it. Like it, it's, you know, I, I drive home and I see these guys that are doing a pickup basketball game and I'm like, God, that looks nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that kind of what you're talking about too, Daniel? You know, yes. And the thing is, is, and you know, we've just discussed this is that we, is it requires intention. You have to, you know, you have to one that you have to be the guy that's going to go play offense and say, well, I'm going to I'm going to be the guy that puts it all together. Like you said, let's get the calendars out and let's put it on the let's put it on the calendar. And if you because you just can't assume and unfortunately, people get um, disenfranchised with a lot of their friends because they're like, well, they they never invite me out. I never get the invitation. You can't think like that. Unfortunately, it's not always reciprocal because most men don't think that way. Oh, let's go out. Yeah. You have to be the one that's going to orchestrate all of it. Uh, but it could still be very rewarding with you kind of putting all the plan into place and not expecting anybody else to do so. Yeah, I, I think it gets to to sort of these these two separate parallel issues, right? One is you're you're going to be a healthier person, mind and spirit, uh, if if you cultivate relationships out outside of your marriage you also might make your divorce easier <laughs> if you have right. if you have some of these relationships are you but saying this is what, an insurance you, policy is that what you're saying i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i'm not i'm saying don't sell the rental house that's yeah. what i'm saying yeah Look, daniel I, pete's the only kid that used to say what do you want to be when you grow up he goes an insurance salesman like the <laughs> <never>. only one <laughs> stop Look, I made a I made a gag uh, 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 at the beginning about the the sort of midlife crisis crisis gag, but that that wasn't that was only uh, partially intentional. Uh, I I'm really interested in your impression of how people, maybe even yourself, uh, and and I'll say to both of you, use the the post divorce experience as a time of redefinition. Right it, to Seth's point, you know, I learned to be who who I am. I learned to find myself uh, in that period. How how do you find divorce? Divorce over 40 helps people through that process of, of reinvention. Uh, and, and do they ever come in intentionally looking to reinvent? I think most people that come in are incredibly hurt and in pain, from my experience. And not everybody, but the ones that really embrace it and invest in our community really blossom. It's, it's really something exciting to see. I remember there's one gentleman that told me that at the first happy hour, he sat in his car for 
30 minutes. He was scared to death to come in. Didn't know soul. And he finally had the guts to come in. And fast forward 90, 120 days, and he's like the guy. He's the one that's going out to the women that are scared in the car and saying, look for me, I'll help you come in. It's like you see this blossoming of this person. Um, and we're seeing that all the time. So I think what we're trying to convey in a lot of the content that we provide is um, not only can we provide you with the connection, but there is life after divorce. And it actually can be pretty fucking good. Excuse my French. And it can be. And guess what? You're the sole author of that next chapter. You have all the autonomy. I mean, you have obligations. You might have an obligation to an ex. You might have you obviously if you have kids. But after that, you write your script. And that's pretty empowering. And I kind of feel sad for the people that like dive so quickly into the next relationship because they don't realize what they have for like this moment of time where I don't want to go out tonight. I'm just going to watch TV or I'm going to go hiking or I mean, all of this free autonomy, free will to do anything and not have a partner that's going to have an equal say or a vote. Oh, Daniel, I, you're tell, you are saying what I say to people when they're saying, I don't want to give up. my kids every other weekend I can't go a weekend without seeing them and I'm like it's not about you it's about the kids seeing the other parent as well right and and I say tell me a bunch of stuff that you always like to do before you got married that you no longer do and they give me this list and I'm like how about doing that next Saturday when the kids are with the glorified babysitter called dad right right well, that that brings up a, a question I have for for both of you. Like, if you, because uh, Daniel, you're divorced, Dad, uh, and you. When was your divorce? How how long have you been divorced? Uh, it was three years ago, uh, come January. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you open the photo album and you're looking at um, pictures of you five years ago. How do you describe who that guy is as different from the guy we're talking to right now? Oh gosh, I'm a, I'm I'm a completely different person. Um, I was um, I was a guy that was focused entirely on my career, and I would a guy that wouldn't admit that I was in an unhappy marriage and was just kind of going through the motions at home, and there wasn't any pursuit of my interests or hobbies. No, very little friends other than the couple friends. That was my day. You know, as I look back and reflected upon that time, it's like, you know, I, for me, it was like, this was the bed that I made. I'm sleeping in it. I'm just going to have to deal with it the rest of my life. And having the ability to, you know, you go through your healing, hopefully, after your divorce. And then there's this incredible part of uh, life there, this time where you can really, I call it the self-discovery phase. It's like, okay, well, what the hell do I want to do now? Do I want to get remarried? Do I want to wait a while? Do I want to, you know, maybe I'll go, what's a hobby that I, you know, it's, it's like Seth said, it's like dusting off some of those old interests and hobbies. For me, it was pouring into this divorce community. And what I learned is I, how much I love to write. But when I look back in, in college, my dad used to write me a letter once, once a week, handwritten, and I remember as a kid in college, I'd kind of glance it over and put it at the side. But I was dating my ex-wife at the time. She was at a different school, and I used to write her a handwritten letter. I loved writing. I loved just expressing myself. And now we, it created this platform where it's like serving up. Okay, Daniel, you have an opportunity to be vulnerable and raw and real 
And here's these, this audience that wants that. And I've just dove into that. And, you know, what and was, let me tell you, the, you I'm sorry to interrupt, Dan, but no, you no, just no. said something that just <laughs> Pete, our knows probably what I'm going to say is when people are open and vulnerable and real, that is just manna from heaven for other people to like, be like, oh my God, this guy's the real deal. I want to, I want to hang out with this guy. It's not yeah. the facade. It's not the bullshit. It's not the mask. Right. And you're like here, warts and all, this is who I am. I know it can always improve on stuff. And I've never had an open, vulnerable, honest conversation that I've regretted. Yeah. Me never too. once. You're right. It's an incredible feeling. And I wish more men would, I, I think men are drawn to seeing vulnerability in men, but they're scared. To, they're scared to be vulnerable. They feel like that takes away their manhood or their masculinity. Uh, they don't want to be embarrassed or exposed or in the spotlight. And so you have this large pool of men that are just going to be trapped up and not express their feelings. And it's, I think it's just a very unhealthy way to live your life, particularly after divorce. Now, let me tell you this too. Just last week, um, I went out with two colleagues. Uh, one was a law student and one was an attorney. The law student's like 27. The attorney, she's 30. These two very brilliant women um, at the relatively early stages of their, um, what I'm sure will be an amazing career. But I was like getting to be almost a fly on the wall in some of their conversations about men and, and dating. And I was chiming in on my relationships as well. And we were talking about what I thought women thought was a ver- the most attractive thing in men. And I said, it's confidence, but not cockiness. And that's a thin line. And they said, yeah, that's true. But another one is when they're vulnerable. And they and I had never heard that before. We're like, if you're vulnerable, women actually find that sexy. In, in my very you know unscientific poll that I did with these two women <laughs> that I was having a drink with, but yeah, rigorous um, empirical yeah. research. <laughs> but it's it, I've never regretted those yeah. conversations when I've had them. Yeah, and and it's an interesting concept. It's just too bad that so many men have to go through trauma in order to get there, right? There's this, this whole generation of men, and I, I would I would hasten to say probably men who look a lot like the three of us. I look at my son and I think, I, I hope he is learning the lessons culturally that I didn't because of my relationship, say, with my dad, my parents, and that that there is there is change on the on the horizon, right? I think he is naturally better at being vulnerable and authentic than I was at his age. And I, I can only hope that that's because of some lessons learned. And I know your son, Seth, besides, he, besides him trying to take my money in street card games, he's, you know, he's a pretty sensitive kid. Oh, yeah. In fact, when I, this comes from my, my grandfather. Like, I, I'm the guy that cries at a Super Bowl commercial with a puppy. Right. And my son has that. <laughs> and when he was little, I'd be like, why are you crying? He's like, because I get emotional and I get it from you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, sorry, bud. You know, I got it from grandpa. So great grandpa yeah. to you. You know, what do you want from me? You're but, welcome. Um, yeah. But I, I think it is um, just how you handle to do that um, and, and how you can put yourself out there. Now, I think kids today generally are much more accepting. They are much more vulnerable because there is more acceptance. It makes it a whole lot easier. There is a whole LGBTQ community out there that would never have done what they were doing 
you know, when we were younger or in the 50s or in the 40s, it is a different world. And I think a lot of that is because there's acceptance. And when there is acceptance, it makes it easier for people to be who they are, even if that is, quote unquote, vulnerable um, in anything you're feeling, not just any one race, religion or creed or sexual orientation. It's just a different dynamic out there. Yeah, I think they. I think people need to see it, right? They need to, in order to feel like it's a, it's acceptable, acceptable to be open, and be vulnerable. And we're seeing more of it in the younger generation. So hopefully that will pass through. I think about my dad, and I don't think I ever knew. I knew when he was mad, but I never knew really how he felt, and I knew what his passions were. But he was an attorney, and uh, you know, he was just a strong man that I feared. You know, he didn't really open up. And I, unfortunately, I learned how to open up after a trauma. And um, I wish that I felt that uh, willingness to open up a lot sooner in my life. Because it de- vulnerability opens doors. I mean, that's, I always say that. It opens so many doors, so many connections. Yeah. Are you, are you dating anyone now, Daniel? I am. As a matter of fact, I met someone at one of my, par- uh, one of our events. Which, I was know, I was told these are not dating events, Daniel. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I heard <laughs> too. Here's what we say, which we mean this: we want you to come in with the intention to build friendships. We're very intentional. We actually are explicit even in the invitations. And when you sign up to RSVP, you have to check. I'm not coming for dating purposes or to pursue a man or a woman. So it's actually one of the terms and conditions of that we had an attorney draft for us, by the way, uh, just to loophole. There was a loophole. (laughs) It says with the exception of the founders of the community, comma, dot, dot, dot. Including, uh, but not limited to. There you go. We we want people to come with the mindset that I'm here to cultivate or to build new friendships. And, but we recognize that, romantic connections could happen in an organic way over time. And so, uh, and we've seen that we've seen people that have spawned off and started a date and we love that. I think those are good stories, but we don't want people to come. We don't want the predators to come and they come, we find them. What's so cool about our community is everybody self polices, even the jet, the guys, once they see behavior, that's unacceptable, we hear about it. And then we all ask them kindly to leave or not to come back. And so it's a really healthy place and, and everybody in the community tries to keep it healthy. But everybody wants, particularly women, every, per, every person our age wants to get off the apps and meet people organically. They always say that. And I always say back to them, well, what are you doing to accomplish that? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to get off and wait for him to come to me. Well, that's, you're, that's a failed model. I don't know about that failed model because that's what I heard women were wanting to do. And so I would literally go to condos and just knock on doors because I heard <laughs> that's what they wanted. And you're then, the rare species. yeah, and then like the cops show up and I'm like, I just don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> you know, they'll, say, they'll say, well, I'm just going to wait for him to come talk to me at the grocery store. It's like, I've never talked to anybody in my entire life at the grocery store don't count on it. What's your plan? And so I always tell people is like, go be super social. You know, you don't have to come to our events, but go invest in your friends. Your friend circle will expand. You'll ultimately meet people of the opposite sex or the same sex, depending on your preference. And there will be a spark. And it's a very organic way of meeting people. And it so happened that the girl I've been dating, uh, Jamie, my girlfriend for uh, going on 15 months and 
she was invited from another, I didn't know her. She was invited from by a friend of mine and uh, she had just gotten divorced and she wanted a safe place to, unfortunately, it wasn't safe, but she wanted a place where it wasn't like a pickup type of event. It was, I wanted to just go hang out with friends because all my friends are married and that's where we met. Yeah, but Pete, you know, you know what you should do to scuttle this relationship is not play this podcast, not launch it for like three, three more months. And then when she listens to it, she's like, what do you mean 15 months? <laughs> really? I, I, may, I may be off already, Seth. I don't know uh, the actual... Um, so maybe yeah. two months. Gosh. Yeah. Jeez, man. Don't throw out how long you've been dating. You're going to get that wrong every time. Like, I don't even say how old my kid is, you know? So I'm just like greater than six months. And then I know I'm yeah. saying, yeah, right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so you are doing, I, I was going to say the same thing, Pete. You're doing great work, yeah, especially. You're doing great. And, and it's interesting to me. It kind of started with this group of guys, but it expanded to women who are there also just to have friendships. And if, look, if something happens and blossoms, it happens and blossoms, but that's, that's not the goal. And, and we've talked about this on other shows, Pete, is being intentional, really thinking about what you do before you do it makes such a huge impact. I, this is just great work, um, Daniel. It's impressive. By, by way of telling us a little bit more about the details of the group, you've got a big trip that you're starting to put together for 2022, right? You know, yes. And it's what's funny is uh, we keep throwing stuff on the wall to see if it sticks and everything seems to stick. And so this, <laughs> this past year, uh, someone made a comment in one of our Facebook groups. So Facebook, what we found, we have these private groups uh, and they're based on city where we have communities. And you have, there's a prerequisite list of questions in order to get in, you have to be divorced or widowed uh, or separated. You know, can't be single and never married to come in there. Very safe place. And someone made a post, hey, I really would love to go on a trip. Is anybody interested in going with me? Uh, and it's created this huge thread. And I'm like, well, maybe our community would love it if we put together a vacation. So we looked for something that was kind of a midpoint price point and decided to go to Cancun and we um, advertised it and we had 65 people sign up to go. Now, when we went, the three founders, Julie and Amy and myself went, I think I knew five people at the event. Nobody knew each other. We all converged from Philadelphia, New York, Florida. We had someone from Miami, LA, all across the country, all converged. And had like three three days and everybody loved it. So we were like, well, gosh, that's stuck on the wall. Let's keep it going. So we we do. We have a Jamaica trip. I expect we'll have easily over 100, maybe 150 people that will come, come to that trip. And they're coming from all over from your their tribes all over the world. They're not obviously not coming from Oklahoma. We have a divorce over 40 chapter in Jamaica. I would hope that those women come as well. <laughs> <laughs> they're like couldn't you pick somewhere else <laughs> yeah right exactly come on daniel <laughs> <laughs> that's the first post they make is we were kind of hoping you'd have a trip to tulsa <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly you know what's funny is what gave us the, the what was the impetus to say let's blow this thing out across the country is we started to have these messages of people from Chicago say, I'd like to fly down for your next happy hour. And I'm like, wow, you want to fly down to come to a three hour happy hour? And she's like, I love what you're doing. And you guys seem so 
so cool and so fun. I'm like, we're, we're really not that cool. We yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what you're posting out there, but yeah. you know, <laughs> we're not that cool. We just need, and, and then, you know, the light bulb went off and was like, well, we need to copy and paste this. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you can learn more at divorcedover40.com. Yes, that's where yes. you send people. And that's Facebook. Uh, I, do they start on the website and go to Facebook, or can they just go to Facebook and find their groups? I would go to, I'd go to the website because there's a link at the top that says Find Your Tribe. And you fill out that form. You tell us where you live. We send it immediately to, we call them ambassadors. They're our leaders in our city. And then they'll get you all connected in. Okay, okay. Because they're all private groups. You can't just go find them. You can see them visibly, but we've got some pretty pretty strong locks. We've got a pretty strong yeah, gate, yeah. so to speak, to let people in. Perfect. Perfect. Divorced over 40, everybody. You got to check this out. This is a, it's a fantastic thing you guys are doing for the divorce community. Uh, DivorcedOver40.com. Thank you so much, Daniel Harold. It was my pleasure. Here. Thank you, guys. Uh, on behalf of Daniel Harold and America's favorite divorce attorney, Seth Nelson, uh, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.